1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, hope you're getting through the week. Um, tough times and they just kind of keep coming. Uh, I'm not even going to get into what's going on in my life. This year has not been kind to me every time I turn around, it's something else, but you know what? I am, uh, showing up to all of it with grace. I am keeping my head down and doing my work, putting one step and foot of the other feeling all of my feelings, but, um, making room for all of them. I'm practicing acceptance and mindfulness, which means I might not want it. I might not enjoy it. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm making room for all of it and I'm not having to live or feel from it. We again, think that, Our thoughts and our feelings have to guide our behavior, but we can unhook from them, acknowledge them, let them be by our side. There's a beautiful roomy poem called Guest House, and it's about welcoming everything in and making room for everything. Google it, read it, live by it, it's stunning. It's the most poetic example of acceptance and mindfulness, which has gotten me through some really difficult times this year. Uh, This year, as I said, not nice, not nice but um, y'all wouldn't even believe what's going on in my life. Every domain, all of them, Uh, but here we are. (laughs) So uh, God bless. Give yourself some grace though, as I said, that's what I'm offering myself. Um, Let's jump into a topic, ways to find a job you love. What? Find a job you love, is that even possible, you say? Yes, why yes it is. Uh, However, before I even get into it, just a caveat, not everyone's job is gonna be something they love and that's okay, we participate in the system because we have set up this dehumanizing system where you have to actually earn a living. Isn't that a gross way to hear it? You have to earn a living. You're not allowed to just be alive because you're a human. You have to earn it. Got to earn it. We shouldn't have to earn it. We should be given electricity and internet and a place to live and food just because we're humans, you know? But that's not how the system works. Ah, toxic capitalism with a capital C. So, not everyone's job is going to be something they love. And the jobs are sometimes a means to an end, it affords you the right to have a living. You have to earn a living, remember, apparently. Uh, More importantly, it also gives you the ability to live in the world in the ways you want, to have the things you want, to have the experiences you want. So sometimes the job is to be able to have those other pieces. It might not be the centralized part of your life as it gets to be for some of us. I love my job. I really do. I love all my jobs. Um, I'm one of those few people that's blessed with that and I don't think it's a blessing I think it's a combination of things I, I, I don't agree that we can have everything we work for there are systems that work against us uh, remember we live in a homophobic racist classist ableist system so you know a lot of things that get in the way, and most of the successful people, the the richest people, they inherited their wealth and have had doors open for them. So they even didn't, you know, Jeff Bezos and people like that, Elon Musk. They were they were given financial support from family members and whatnot. So they didn't do anything on their own. We definitely don't live in a meritocracy, which means you know people are where they are because they've worked for it. That's not how it works. Um, privilege is a real thing, but. I don't want to say it's just blessings as though these things are just bestowed upon us. You know, it's a combination of privilege and working hard and being in the right place at the right time. But beyond that, some people are able to try to find something that makes more sense for them. So, uh, so we're going to talk about. You know, we don't want our lives just to be about paying bills. <laughs> I saw some funny conversations about that. You know, you go to school and take out loans to get a degree so you can get a job. And then all the money from the job goes back to paying off those loans that you needed to get that job that you needed to get to pay off those loans. And it becomes this odd feedback loop. Why are we doing all that? But then we have programs like Google, which is saying you don't need a degree. We will educate you ourselves through this program um, and come work for us. And I think that's awesome. I also recommend people going to school and getting a um, for a trade, you know, carpentry barber, all these different things that will keep you always employed, you know, um, sip of coffee, still some COVID symptoms. You can hear it in my throat and some fatigue weeks and weeks and weeks later. So another gentle reminder to get vaccinated and boosted and wear those masks and six feet away from people and don't go into indoor spaces. <laughs> um, Back to the topic, though, a lot of people are leaving their jobs, there's a great migration away from work. But I really believe that that is not because people don't want to work. It's because people are no longer willing to settle for really bad working conditions. They want health care. they want to be respected, they want to be paid a living wage. And some places are really starting to do that. And so you have to earn employees. Like, let me just say that to employers. You're, you're struggling to find employees? Well, you have to earn it. You have to actually offer something of worth and value to them. You don't have an entitlement to employees if you're not creating a reasonable or desirable work environment or work culture. Like, that's why I laugh when I see some of these signs. Nobody wants to work anymore. Oh, yeah, they do. But you have to actually make it appealing. Pay them well. People go to jobs to make money. That's why I also laugh when I see these job interview questions where they're offended if you want to know how much they pay. That's why they're there. You should have to post the pay with the job. People shouldn't go on an interview without knowing how much they're going to be given to let you you know, make money off their labor. It's something we should be able to request. Um, so I just want to kind of call that out. You know, A lot of the reasons why people are leaving are, are, are reasonable. Um, looking at a Gallup poll, this is from 2021, so it's pretty recent. Only about 48% of adults employed uh, full-time or part-time are completely satisfied with their jobs, less than half. That's a bummer because that's mental health and it, ble- you know, it leaks into everything, relational health, social health, family health. It's all in there. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break though. We're going to come back and keep talking about jobs, how to find a job you love, what you have to think about, consider, keep in mind all that. And then of course we'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be right back though. Take a little break. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
2: All right, we're back and we're talking about finding a job you love, which <clears throat> for some that's an oxymoron. What? Is that possible? It's possible. And for some of us, our jobs are just going to be a way that we get our needs met. Um, can't promise anything, but there's uh, some perspectives and things to consider that can help was looking at a Gallup poll. This is out of 2021. Only um, about 48% are completely satisfied with their jobs. That's a bummer. That means the other half aren't quite happy with what they do with their uh, 40 plus hours a week. That's a big deal. Uh, Please don't think that your mental health is not impacted by (laughs) your happiness or contentment at your job. And we talked about this on another show once. I was saying sometimes it's about changing your role at the current company. Other times it's about changing your relationship to your job, having a different perspective, maybe seeing the value of it as something that affords you weekends to go do what you want, or gives you a paycheck to do what you want at night, uh, holidays, whatever it is. I don't know, but not everyone's main job is going to be something that's meaningful to them. But we're going to talk about what you want to think about and consider, because there are some things that the research uh, shows us are, are kind of, you know, a little bit of a compass or a guide. Uh, but before we get there, the reasons why many people leave their jobs. The first one, drum roll, duh, 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 probably not surprising, is lack of a good rapport with their boss. This is the head honcho, and uh, bosses have the ability to make someone's life easier or harder. So that's what I always say to all the bosses that are listening you know, your employees are in your care, their mental health is in your hands. Take that seriously. Whether you're happy, you're not happy, or whatever's going on in your life, don't make your employees' lives harder. You know, I think that we can actually run businesses with somewhat of an ethic of care. These are humans, and people and their mental health has to come before numbers. And I know that's not how the capitalist system works, but I really want us to think about that. Um, all the jobs that have good marks, because um, there our websites, which rank jobs, and talk about which businesses, um, you know, are better than others uh, from the perspective of the employee. Report with the boss is a really important part of all that. A few opportunities is the second one. Um, nowhere to go, this is it. Low ceiling, where you've hit the ceiling. It's a big one, whether you're gonna advance or not. I think a lot of people like the idea of possible advancement, knowing that this isn't it. There's more to come. There's something more than just this. Um, I had a friend, stayed in a job for 12 years. Same position, 12 years. He was happy and content, though. So that's not for everyone. He liked that it was familiar. He liked that it was routine. He liked that he knew what happens on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So for him, that was valuable. For some people, they like things that are a little more dynamic, meaning, you know, always kind of changing and shifting. So that's why these aren't absolutes. These are, you know, a little subjective based on what kind of structures make you feel safer than others. Trust issues. That's an interesting one. Doesn't really break down what that means. So I, I, I don't exactly understand how that applies, but uh, yeah, trust. You have to trust what? That the company, that your boss, other employees have your, I don't know, that they have your back. You have to trust that you have job security because job security is actually not in here. So maybe that's part of the trust. I have to trust that this is a job that I will have for a while and that'll i be taken care of. I don't know. I wish they broke that down. It's kind of an odd terminology. Career change. Well, that makes sense. People deciding that they wanna do something else. I think that's what came out of the pandemic. A lot of people thought, well, if I'm not gonna work for a while, or maybe even if I'm gonna go back to work and I'm gonna put myself in some unsafe environment, it better be something I I wanna do or I prefer. But career changes, never be afraid of that. No matter where you are in life or what your age is, um, however much time you have left on this planet, I think it's really reasonable to wanna spend it being a part of systems that are meaningful to you and make you happy. You know, even if if you're 40, you got a lot of life left. If you're 60, you got a lot of life left, you know, decades. Make those decades centered in something that has meaning and value to you. That's why I love when people make career changes later in life. It's not a um, later life or midlife crisis. It's a breakthrough. It's a reckoning. It's a, you know, authentic, vulnerable decision to really start to step into what's meaningful and important to you. And some of us I'd say it's, it takes decades to understand what direction we might wanna go, but also to get that confidence that we're worth that. It's kind of an act of self-worth to make a career change or to ask for a raise or to leave a job. You're saying, my mental health matters and so does my happiness. Um, it's that you know sunk cost fallacy. Just because you've put some time and energy into a job or anything else, if it's not making you happy, peace out, leave. You know, And I've never had an issue with that. I'm one of those people where if I don't like a movie, I leave. Even if I put an hour into it or paid for it, my happiness, my mental health for the next final hour means more than whatever I've already put in. And so you know, I've never had an issue leaving relationships or jobs that weren't healthy or right for me, or more importantly, didn't make me happy. Because it's really, I know some people, it's shocking for them to hear that, but I want people to assess in that way. Do I enjoy this? Is it fun? Whenever a work opportunity comes across my desk, I've said this before, First, I make sure it's aligned with my ethics and my politics, because I'm not going to do anything that I feel is unethical. And then the second question I ask immediately is, does it sound fun? I don't want to do things that don't sound fun. I know that we can't all apply that to our jobs. But, you know, hey, if you're thinking of changing your job or you're offered something, do ask yourself, does that sound fun to me? You know, that's your mental health. Um, So I kind of like that one. Another one reason why people leave their jobs, health reasons. And again, that's direct and indirect. Indirect would be, you know, the health concerns have nothing to do with where they work or what's demanded of them. For others, it does. It puts a strain on their body or on their mind, um, hurts their feet. Some people's jobs are them being hunched over the whole time. My dad was a cosmetic and general dentist, and he was always leaning over and hunched over, and it started to really do damage to his back and also to his vision. So um, health reasons is kind of meaningful. Um, all right, we're going to take a break, and we're, we're processing... Uh, how to find a job you love. But first, we're looking at why people leave jobs and why they don't like their jobs. But uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about that. And then we'll do some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop that DM in our Loveline IG page. That's questions you got, topics you want covered, things you want us to circle back to. We love to hear from you because as we're helping you, we're helping others. So no question too small. Someone else is probably wondering the same thing. And uh, we are channelq.com. That's where you want to go to check out past episodes. Scroll down, look for Love Line, and click on it. You can binge, post, reshare. Take it a little break though. We'll be back. So stick around. You'll listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris from Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all. We are back and we're talking about work, work, and how it collides with happiness and mental health. And I shared this once before the research on happiness. And I think what was really beautiful is. It um, really skewed into the importance of career, but but what their definition was for career, I think, is what's most impactful and meaningful. So let's kind of talk about it from that angle. So um, the people that are happiness, the people that are happiness, the people that are happiest, uh, have three things in their lives, and one of them is career. Now, career does not just mean job, and I think that's the most important takeaway. So if you learn nothing else from tonight's show, know that. Just having a job isn't what we're talking about in terms of improved mental health and happiness um, with employment. It involves some other factors. The first factor that was really meaningful is what they called um, signature skills. Your your job is what they call a career if it involves signature skills. Signature skills are those elements of ourselves that we find most important, meaningful, and what we think are our assets and our strengths. So lazy, easy example, if you're someone who thinks your artistic side is where you thrive and what you most like utilizing, and that's the part of yourself you most want engaged. If your job is non-artistic, well then it won't meet the criteria for career. And that's what you're looking for to build in that third piece of the three things that make people happiness, happiest. I don't know why I can't say that. <clears throat> so What does that mean? Well, it means that for some people, you will change your job in service of finding career, which again, one of the elements is it utilizes your signature strengths, or you keep your job because it works, it's easy, it pays the bills, and you have to find something else in your life that engages those signature strengths because we will not be at our most mentally robust and resilient if we're not doing something that engages the parts of ourselves that are most important, but ideally you find a job that allows for that or you try to find a shift, uh, maybe a movement in your job, a new gig at the same place, a new role, that involves that. But for it to meet the criteria of career, signature strengths. The other important piece is that it is consistent and you walk away feeling as though you've done something meaningful. So again, signature strengths, but it has to be something that you are consistently returning to. It can't be a one-off. Why? Well, a one-off will just give you some enjoyment that day, but it won't allow you the constant repetition of returning to this thing where you're using your signature restraints and you're walking away constantly engaging in that part of you. It needs to be ongoing. And then the final part is you have to walk away feeling like you did something meaningful. If your job has you walking away not feeling as though you're doing something meaningful, it won't meet the criteria for career. And that is what will lead to greater happiness and less job stress. So again, you either try to find something within your current job or you find a new job or you find something outside of your job that engages signature strengths that you consistently return to and that you walk away feeling as though you did something meaningful and impactful. I don't make the rules, but those are what the studies show and I see that in my clinical practice as well. Let's use me, for example, I'm a therapist. I get to utilize my signature strengths. I like using my philosophical existential mind in my thinking. Um, so that's great. I get to repetitively and consistently return to it. I do it multiple days a week. So I'm constantly using my signature strengths. So I feel really vital. Vitality is the word. Uh, and I walk away from that feeling as though I did something meaningful and impactful. And so that meets criteria for career. So I'm good. I don't have to find that elsewhere. I don't have to leave my job or find that those needs met somewhere else in some other resource like a hobby or volunteering or school or whatever it is, a side hustle. So why some people have side hustles. They're like, oh, there's this thing I really wanted to do, an idea I had. And it feels more exciting because it's more targeted towards what I like to do, painting, drawing, numbers, um, engaging with others, face fronting, as they say. Uh, or not working in isolation, whatever it is. That's why side hustles tend to happen because their primary job doesn't really hit those marks. Now, even if they do, that doesn't mean you're going to be completely happy. There's other factors that matter. What's the work culture like? Um, how mentally healthy is your boss? Is your boss a, a, boss a tyrant? Um, what, what kind of money are you making? Are you making your worth? Do you have health care? All of these things matter, <laughs> but the three primary pieces that we have the most control over are the ones I just referenced. So that's, that's in here as well. Uh, that was horrifying for some of you to hear. It was reaffirming for others. It was inspiring for yet another group. But that's what the stats show. You get to decide what you do with that. But that's what the stats show. And just to finish it off, anyone who heard my entry point where I said the three things that happiest people have, career was one of them. Again, it meets the criteria of signature strengths, consistent, and you walk away feeling like you did something meaningful and impactful. The other two things that happiest people had was, number one, relationships. Didn't mean romantic. It meant social, romantic, family, whatever it was. They had others in their life. We know that those people live longer and have higher levels of mental health. And finally, they had spirituality. We never talk enough about that, not in therapy, not even on the show. i trying to bring it in more, try to reference it with my clients. It can be religion. It can be spirituality, whatever. But those of spirituality where they find purpose and meaning in something higher, they have a higher ethic. They have something to turn to. Uh, all of those different pieces are, are what's a part of that pie. So going to take a break, uh, slide into those DMs, and then we'll be back. So stick around and join us. We are channelq.com. That's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. Scroll down, look for Love Line, and click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, um, and also give us a follow over on the uh, Love Line IG. Dropping some good stuff over there. But like I said, we'll be back. So stick around and join us. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris, on Channel Q, and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
3: Sliding into the DMs. This
2: one's a little bit of a long one, so hang in there with me. Uh, Oh, wow. All right, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm having trouble when it comes to dating men and talking about sex. Get in line. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. We all are. Over the last year. I've been trying to date a meet, that's awesome, see? But when it comes to sex, I'm finding everyone I meet wants to have unprotected sex. Uh, They say they're on PrEP, but that doesn't protect from other STIs. Let me just jump in quickly. PrEP is a daily pill that can be taken. They're working on a monthly shot and it prevents someone, the taker of the pill, from uh, becoming infected with the HIV virus. So if you take PrEP, it's about 98% effective, more effective than condoms from, for preventing the transmission of HIV. Just want to throw that out there. And as this question writer is, is, is pointing out, it doesn't prevent other STDs and STIs. And so it only prevents HIV. And that's why condoms and other safer sex practices are necessary. Uh, but the question was, uh, you know, partners will say they're on PrEP, but that doesn't protect them from STIs, us and them. That's right. And because I'm more precautious and I want to use a condom, they say I don't trust them. And the truth is, I don't. Yeah, why should you? Because a lot of people, you know, if they're not using protection, then they don't use protection. So that's a very, it's a good reason. And also, you know, asking people when they were last tested for STDs and STIs. Some people lie. Some people, it's been a long time. Some people don't remember. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, but when someone says, uh, "Oh, what's the matter? You don't trust me?" What they're really saying is, "I'm, I'm going to try to pressure you and convince you away from your boundary." And that's never good. When you say to someone, I, I use condoms or I prefer you know, to use a safer sex practice, the only answer you should get back is okay. <laughs> Anything else they say that sounds like they're trying to manipulate or convince you or pressure you, that means this person doesn't have healthy ethical sex uh, because they're just worried about sex. They don't care about the impact it's having on you. Healthy ethical sex is sex that everyone wants to have, where everyone feels comfortable and everyone feels cared for. So that's already a red flag about this partner. Um, But back to your question. You said, um, I don't trust them because I've only known them a short time. I don't know whether they're being truthful about their sexual health. And I made a mistake years ago and I've had STIs. Yes, uh, sex is never safe. It's just about making it safer. Anytime you come into contact with another human being, you risk getting some kind of virus or bacteria. You should be worried about door handles. You should be worried about air in Corona. You should be worried about being near sick babies because you might be at home with the flu, with snot coming out of your nose, crapping your pants. Like Yes, being around human beings means coming in contact with things, and sex is no different. And getting an infection from sex is no more shameful than getting it from a doorknob or a sick baby or the air. And we need to stop making sexually transmitted things somehow stigmatized or grosser. It's called being a human. We come in contact with things. It is grosser to be on your couch with the flu for weeks than it is for most STDs and STIs where you get a pill and a shot in the butt and you're back to life and it's not that deep. So we do need to chill out with that stuff. Um, You said I'm even more precautious now since I've had one friend contract other things that weren't treatable, blah, blah, blah. It's made me feel frustrated with dating. And I feel like I'm losing interest Why are so many people still playing games with their sexual health? I know, it's a lot of things. One, sometimes it's youth and immaturity where people think that they're invincible. Others haven't had friends or anyone in their life that's contracted anything, so they have no sense of what that's like. Other people, they prioritize pleasure. Um, And I also support people that don't like using condoms or protection. That's up to them. I'm not gonna shame anyone. No one has to do anything. And if someone prefers sex that's riskier, that's up to them, I support that, that's on them. But it isn't what you want and it isn't comfortable for you, so you shouldn't do it. So I'm not gonna shame anyone for the choices they make, just like I don't want you to be shamed for yours. All I'm gonna say is these aren't the right sexual partners for you, period. Why they're doing it? Because maybe it's arousing for them to do risky, taboo things. Maybe it's because they think they're invincible. Maybe it's because they realize that they get an STD and STI, they get tested uh, often and they'll just go get treatment. I don't know why, but it's not right for you, but we're not gonna judge them and we're not gonna judge you. So hold your boundaries, and if they try to push back and convince you otherwise, throw up the double deuces and say, this isn't right for me. But um, hang in there, because there are people that are open to that. It's not everyone. It's a lot of people maybe, but not everyone. But. More importantly, take care of yourself and you hold your boundaries because that's healthy sex for you. All right. Got a question for us? Drop it in the DMs. Topic you want covered, put it in the DMs. We're going to be right back. So stick around and join us. you listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Right, y'all. we're back and uh, we're going to talk about uh, having the porn talk. So we're going to get a little not safe for work, put the kids to bed or bring the kids into this because they're, you know, wanting to learn a little bit about uh, the realities of porn, whether we like it or not. It's here to stay. This topic isn't about whether or not porn is healthy or not. It's just about it exists. Kids have cell phones. They're accessing it at younger ages. We need to be able to talk about these things. I want parents to be armed with the right information. We're going to talk a lot about this often because this pops up in different ways. Shapes and forms. This really came to a head because uh, a couple months ago, Billie Eilish was talking about the negative impact that porn had on her. And the issue isn't porn. The issue is that no one gave her porn literacy. No one helped her understand what she was looking at, what meaning to make out of it. She didn't have safe parents to go to to talk to and process it. Uh, the parents weren't armed with the right way to assess it and approach it and, and boundaries. But kids need to understand what they might stumble upon. They need to have language. They need to have parents that are safe resources. You need to talk to your kids in an age-appropriate way. We need to be involved in what they're doing with their cell phones and their computers. That is what parenting is. Not saying it's easy, but if your kid has a cell phone or a computer or essentially leaves the house, these are going to be things you're going to have to talk about, adult entertainment. Um, So we're going to do a little bit of a run-through as to what we need to think about and consider, but uh, here's what you need to say. I'm going to script it for you a little bit. Uh, first that, um, it's normal to uh, think about sex. We got to normalize it. It's normal for anyone and everyone to possibly at some point fantasize and think about sex, but it's also normal for people to not. Being sex positive isn't about always wanting, thinking about, or having sex. Being sex positive is recognizing that it exists, it's not a bad thing, and that it's okay to want it, and it's okay to not want it. Some people are asexual and will never necessarily feel a drive towards sex, or some people might feel like they're just not ready, and that's okay too. There's no right age at which to have it. There's no right way to do it. We follow, we let, our, we let our readiness, our truth, our trust guide us. We have it when we want it. We have it when we feel like we're ready for it. That's it. We don't have it because we want love. We don't have it because we want to fall in love and get married. It doesn't promise that. We have sex because we feel like we are ready for pleasure with another human being. We have sex when we feel like we understand what and, and, and have the ability to set boundaries and have clear communication around STDs and STIs and safer sex practices. That's when you're ready but we need to just first normalize it, that you will see it, you will feel it, you might think about it, or maybe you won't. And just because your friends are, doesn't mean you have to. It's okay for you to think I'm not ready to hear about it or to have it. It's okay for you to say to your friends, I'm glad that you're there. <laughs> I'm not, or I am as well, or maybe you are and your friends aren't. And I don't want you getting, or your child getting slut shamed because they feel like they are ready. They feel like their body and their communication skills and boundaries are on point. Because remember, we know over and over from the research that those that don't talk about sex and those that um, do abstinence only and talk about sex until marriage, it only delays sex. Sex is still had. It just delays it. And there's higher rates of teen pregnancy and STIs because these kids are not confident enough to know what to ask for to know where and how to get tested, or they aren't confident or not are aware of how and are willing to go get safer sex practices such as condoms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't feel like they can go to anyone and ask questions because they'll be shamed. So not talking about sex, uh, preaching absence only, or saying wait till marriage isn't, isn't helpful. And also notice that the research shows that they also end up in more domestic violence situations because they don't know how to say yes, they don't know how to say no. We also know that populations that have healthier attitudes around sex and pornography have higher rates of, I'm sorry, they have lower rates, reduced rates of sexual violence, teen pregnancy, and STDs and STIs because they're confident. They know how to encounter it. They know how to talk about it. They know how to set boundaries. Information. Protects us. We tell kids to please also not text while they're driving and to wear a seatbelt. That isn't us saying, please then don't wear a seatbelt and drive while texting. It's the opposite. So teaching people boundaries and information doesn't promote the behavior, it promotes engaging in the behavior when they're ready in a safer way. So these are important topics, and I understand that as an adult, it's very anxiety-inducing, and that's why you practice. We also want to talk about that, uh, like every other form of art and entertainment, whether it's a video game, a movie, a comic book, that um, these aren't real life. Just like the car crashes and the things you see in the movies and the video games, that's not real life. That's in the video game. It's for fantasy. It's for fun. It's for entertainment. We don't really do these things, and we're not supposed to, and this is not how it really looks. They want to talk about that as well with porn, that this is just entertainment. I know, right? We don't put any more pressure upon these other forms of art, but we do, especially upon porn. We think it should be an, an educator. It's not. We have to educate about it porn exists on its own. Video games and movies aren't supposed to educate kids into as to how to drive cars or whatever it is, but We have to prepare them. We have to say you don't really rob a bank if you need money, even though you see it in a movie. You can't drive your car off an expressway and think it's going to flip five times through the air and then land safely like we see in the movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) We need literacy around all of these things. Um, All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and keep talking about the porn talk, how to do it, what to think about. Give you a little script. So uh, stick around for that, and then we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, all that good stuff. Um, stick around, though. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we are back, and we're talking about the infamous, dreaded, but ever-important porn talk I know I know it brings fear into every parent and individual but it's something we have to be able to talk about why because well it's something that's a part of culture and uh I want us to be talking about everything Um, sexual and non-sexual. And let me just make a quick little commentary as to why it's important to start talking about sex around children uh, from birth, literally from birth, because we know that if kids are given the appropriate languaging and they have confidence and comfort in talking about the topic, not only will they turn to supportive adults when they need them, but they'll also be better able to set boundaries. Um, And we want to raise kids in a sex-positive family. Remember, every family is either sex-positive, sex-negative, sexually Anxious um, or sexually traumatic. We don't want to be sexually traumatic. That's the abuse of boundary violations. Uh, Sexually anxious is like, we'll acknowledge sex, but we don't use the right words. We say things like down there and we, you know, dance around it. And sexually, uh, sex negative is... Good people don't have sex. We don't talk about it in this family. Well, what kind of message are you giving kids and individuals that it's something bad and shameful? It's a healthy part of life. Sex isn't bad. It's the way we encounter it and deal with it. That's good or bad. Sex positive families are families where we say, look, sex isn't bad, but we want to talk about having it when we're ready for it. What does that mean? Setting boundaries. Um, All that's really vital and important. And so having the porn talk is necessary. Just like talking about video games and movies and comic books, that that's not real life, that that's just fantasy that's part of the porn talk is saying that's not how the world necessarily operates. It's entertainment. That's not how everyone looks. That's not what everyone does. And you're a child or you're a teenager. And that's not what the expectation would be on you or your body. Your body isn't going to look like that or work like that. Um, But you're letting them know by talking about it, that you're someone they can come to talk to about that and other important, difficult topics. Uh, Let them know it's fantasy, that that is for adults. Also you have to let them know that, uh, Consent. Consent is a big thing. Talking about boundaries and consent that we don't touch people without asking uh, in any way, shape or form that we don't sexualize someone without making sure that they're open to that and comfortable with that. And um, really starting to talk about how we address consent, how we notice consent. Does a person look uncomfortable? We don't have conversations with people that make them look put off or uncomfortable. We have to talk about the stages of courtship, but that's all another conversation. We are going to focus specifically on porn. Um, you know, another really important thing, and adults need to be reminded of this as well, is that Again, these are actors and we don't get to see what happens offset and there's a lot of devices and medications and injections that are used to help people be able to perform and have the robust longevity that we'll see. We don't see people doing negotiation of boundaries, like what are you comfortable with? Does that feel okay? We don't see aftercare where people cuddle and hug and talk about what just happened and connect. We don't see people having erectile disappointments where things aren't going the way they had hoped or the way they wanted. All these different important factors don't exist, but we don't see that in movies or comic books or video games either because it's entertainment. They're not meant to be educational, but somehow we have expectations on porn that we don't have on other forms of media. Media is not meant to reflect real life all the time. It's meant to reflect fantasy or take us to places and spaces that we don't have access to normally. Porn is no different from that. And we we have to allow space for that. And we have to talk about that. So talking about something again, isn't giving permission. Uh, saying don't text and drive or you need to wear a seatbelt is just about talking about boundaries and ways to protect yourself. That's not saying to do it. Porn's the same way. We want to talk about sexual health practices that we also don't see in porn or see discussed in porn. All the different options. How to ask someone when they've last been tested. Uh, Where to go to get tested. What safer sex practices exist. These are all the things we're not going to learn from porn and porn isn't supposed to be teaching us that anyway. You as the adult are. And whether you have kids or you're just an adult who's trying to live in an adult world with other adults, it's hard enough for us at times to have these talks with other adults because we don't have adult sexuality. We're adults that have a childlike sexuality. A lot of clients I work with where I say to them, did you ask your partner when they were tested last? They're like, oh my God, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm like, well, then it doesn't sound like you and this person are ready to be having sex. These are things we have to be able to talk about. Back to porn though. Um, Let's see what else. Yeah, we call it the male gaze, G-A-Z-E, that a lot of porn is made from the male perspective. It's made by men for men, and it's centered in the kinds of things men want to see. That's why we have feminist porn, and we want to talk about that as well, that you might, you know, you got to say to the kids, you might find porn that's made by men for men, and that's not what all men like, but it's rooted in the fantasy of what we think men want. And again, it's not real life. <laughs> again, it's not real life. We have to keep saying that a lot. Um but I think um, the, the the commentary on stereotypes is really important. Uh, like all art, uh, it's very stereotypically driven. Uh, everyone's very archetypal. Um, you will see some racial and gender stereotypes. You might see uh, queer people, people of color, and trans people fetishized, which means they're reduced down to just a sex object and that their total humanity is not acknowledged. Um, these are really beautiful conversations. You can talk about sexism in culture, and of course, porn is a part of culture, so it shows up there too, and it can become a broader conversation, and how racism exists within the dating world and the apps, and of course, it exists in porn as well sexual racism. And here's how it shows up on apps and in the world and in movies. These are all really important conversations. Um, unrealistic expectations on our bodies, like I said, how they work and what they look like, that tends to be some of the most traumatic parts of porn for younger kids, is not just what's happening but also the bodies, that their bodies aren't fully matured and even when they are, they will most likely never operate or look like that. That's an important conversation to be had because we shouldn't be watching any kind of art or entertainment that negatively impacts us or our sense of our body or our body esteem or self esteem, whether it's movies, magazines, um, apps of any kind and porn. So that's a bigger conversation. If you're looking at anything you want to say to your kids where you walk away feeling bad about yourself, that is not a good thing to return to. So, wider conversation. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll finish up talking about this and then we'll do some DMs. So, if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Just doing a little talk about the porn talk you know that difficult talk that all parents have to have with kids and uh adults have to have with other adults <laughs> even adults don't really have this down literacy we need literacy around all media video games comic books movies uh things we see on instagram ads billboards porn is no different and porn's not shouldn't bear the brunt of being more of an educator or more normal or you know rooted in real life than any other form of media or art Uh, but yet we put a lot of pressure on it. Even though we know that people that have a healthier relationship to um, sex and porn, they set boundaries, they take care of themselves, lower rates of teen pregnancy and STDs and STIs and domestic violence because they can access resources, they know how to talk about these things, they understand how to set boundaries, they understand consent, so start from birth. Sexuality exists from birth in some form, 100%. It's never too young to talk about these things as long as it's done in an age-appropriate way. You're not gonna harm a child. Kids are encountering porn and adult behavior and sexuality from the minute they enter the planet, on television billboards. my God, the minute they get a phone and they have access to the Internet and they're friends. these are important things to talk about. Um, but um, sex has many meanings. And I think that's an important part to add to the porn talk is that sex is not just about pleasure. It's not just about orgasm. It's not just about getting off. It's not just about, you know, um, a man and a woman or two men or two women that it's something that is used for love. Sometimes it's used for entertainment. Sometimes people use it to connect and get to know each other. Sometimes people use it to feel more confident in their body and that sex can involve talking, it can involve laughing, it can involve hugging, it can be fun, it can be funny, um, it can be cuddling, it can be something that's about exploration and discovery. Um, There's so many uh, ways that it can be utilized. It can be a tool for a lot. And I also want to just remind those adults that are really uncomfortable, there's a lot of websites and books that you can look at with your child. And that's the, the important thing is with, you don't want to send them off because then you're then communicating again, I'm not comfortable, I'm not someone you can talk to about this. And this is something that has shame and anxiety tied to it, and you need to look at it off on your own. We don't wanna give that message. You wanna practice first and be confident so that they can feel confident when talking to you and know that you're someone they can turn back to. Um, so remember that it's not just the content, the process matters as well. Let's look at some stats. This is according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, 42%, it's a high number, of 10 to 17-year-olds have seen porn online. 42% of 10 to 17-year-olds That's a lot. You need to be talking to your 10 to 17 year olds. Um, 27% say it was intentional. The others accidental. Uh, In addition, they explained that examination of 15, 18 year olds found that 54% of boys, 70% of girls also intentionally look. So mostly boys, but girls are looking as well. Girls are the growing number of porn users. It's not just a male thing by any means. Please know that. What else does it show? For example, children encounter porn when opening an email, a text, or spam, when typing in a web address incorrectly. So know that when you see it in the search browser, it doesn't mean they actively went to look, but even if they did, you don't shame them for it. Please don't scream. Please don't shame them or put them down. You privately go talk to them, let them know what you found, and ask them if they have any questions. You normalize it, that that's a normal part of childhood and adolescence, that it might not be something that is made for them, but that you're there to answer any questions. You'd prefer that they did not go looking at that on the computer, but you understand that they were curious. What did they want to know or talk about, right? You're a resource. Uh, The other ways that they encountered it, doing a web search for something non-sexual that actually had a sexual meaning. So again, accidents do happen, but it shouldn't matter. Kids are curious. Or maybe they clicked on an ad, you know? Uh, What else did they say? I want to see if there's any other really good ones here. Yeah, basically, again, we can't get away from it. Um, You want to make sure you normalize it, talk about it, let them know you're confident, let them know you're a resource. That's what a lot of this really comes back to. Uh, That fact that it's an ongoing conversation, it's not a one-off, remember that. We don't just have it once and then we're done. It's something that the circle back to, especially because at different stages in development, they have a different relationship to it, Um, what they're looking at, how they're finding it, what it means for them. But you want to be a judgment-free zone, that there's no judgment. It exists, it's neither good, neither bad. It depends on how you use it, what you're looking for. Um, open ended questions and keeping it going. Yeah, talking about boundaries. Yeah. Just looking through some of the research as we talk. It's all pretty unified in um the opinions about how to approach it. So start young, do it often, normalize it, and you set your kids up for um better success than those that make it bad, dirty, or you know, induce more anxiety. Um, we're gonna take a break. Coming up next, though, we're gonna be closing out with some DMs. So if you've got a question for us, something you're wondering about, someone else might be as well, so drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You can also put in there topics you want us to cover, things you want us to circle back to, love hearing from you, give us a follow back. And Past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, because it's all about that repetition and that practice, rehearing, unlearning, relearning. And, um, you know, sometimes people do their best listening in the shower uh, while they're hiking. I do it at the gym. So that's when I listen to my information and podcasts. So, yeah, you can take us with you. And while you're there, check out some of the other shows. Lots of good stuff. And, and my books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines, places where you can go for a deeper read, a little more information about the topics we talk about here. So check them out. But uh, we'll be back. So come back with us. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs.
3: Sliding into the DMs.
2: This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline. I've been following you for a few years now and I love you and the work you do and you dropping all those gems all over the place. Thank you. I love positive feedback and positive reinforcement and compliments. Thank you, thank you. I'm an outspoken, bold and confident woman in all aspects of my life, except for one in the bedroom. Well, props to you. I just like anyone who is bold and outspoken and confident. That's awesome. It's hard work, especially as a woman in our culture. So well done. But I understand. So it lacks in the bedroom. Okay. Okay. You uh, said, I know my boyfriend would love some dirty talk. Probably any verbal communication that I can give him. Even him asking me, what do you want? Makes you clam up. All right. I see. you, I see it. Uh, you said dirty talk terrifies me. I trust my man to treat me with tenderness, love, and respect. Wow. That's great that you have a great partner. Uh, so why on earth does the thought of dirty talk give me such anxiety? It's foreign. Anything that we're not familiar with is gonna make us anxious. And also dirty talk's very vulnerable. It really is vulnerable. It's just another vulnerable level Of intimacy but see it as intimacy anytime we step into something that makes us anxious in front of someone we care about we're building intimacy and sexual intimacy is the deepest most powerful form of it and so it's an act of love and care that you're willing to bear these more vulnerable parts of yourself to another person and I like that it's with someone who you feel very safe with so this is someone I want you to practice doing it with I think we also have anxiety about doing it right or making sure it's hot And that's the thing is there's no wrong way to dirty talk. And the best dirty talk is talk that's centered around what's happening right in the room. People think you have to do these extravagant over the top things and you have to talk about all sorts of, no, just talk about what you're feeling. Just talk about what you're doing. Yeah. Do you like when I put my hand? Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. It feels really good when you. You can just literally narrate what's happening, and that is the most arousing dirty talk, just vocalizing. Yeah, that feels good, keep doing that. Yeah, I'd like it if you'd move your hand to, you can direct, you can explain, you can narrate, That's all it is. Explain what's going on in the moment. A version would be if I was in a supermarket, I'd be like, yeah, I'm heading over to the uh, apples. Those apples look really shiny. I can't wait to eat them. Wow. Biting into this apple. This apple tastes very delicious. Yeah. Look at the apple, you know, the apple juice dripping down my face as I'm eating it. Do you see that? Do you like that here? Taste this apple with me. You just narrate what you're doing and what's happening. Just be in the moment. Talk about what you're seeing. Talk about what you're feeling. Just stay in the moment. Stay in your body. That's all it is. Practice. This is what I'd say. Next time you masturbate, practice with yourself. Dirty talk with yourself to yourself. Talk about what you're feeling. Talk about what you're doing. Get really familiar hearing yourself speak. Get really familiar hearing yourself speak sexually and then just start doing that with your partner. It's that simple, you know? So start with yourself, do it with your partner and remind yourself that there's no wrong way to do it, you know? Bam. And uh, anytime we work on our sexual confidence, it actually enhances the rest of our confidence. So it globalizes, and that's a beautiful part of it. So um, I'm proud of you for wanting to do that work. And again, it's a really beautiful act of commitment and care that you want to provide something for your partner sexually that they're interested in. I love that. That's how we keep our erratic lives thriving and our partners happy. You know, anytime someone wants something sexual from us, someone that we're in a safe relationship with. It's an act of intimacy. They just want more closeness. They want to know you more. So no right, no wrong, but just stay in the moment, narrate what's happening, and start on your own. All right, y'all, you got a question for me? Drop in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. I want to hear from you. Anything you're wondering about, anything you're worrying about, let us know. We got answers. And uh, if there's a topic you want us to cover or something you want us to circle back or drop deeper into, let us know about that as well. Tons of past episodes, lots of good stuff back there. Go to wearechannelq.com to check it out. Scroll down, click on Love Line. You can binge, post, share, re listen. Sometimes there's really important topics you want to go back and find out about, or there's someone in your life who maybe would benefit from learning more. Check out my books, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love, as well. Those help, they drop deeper into a lot of these topics. I got to remember to start talking a little bit more about those. But uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, y'all. So join us. Lots of good stuff coming this week. And, um, Spend the rest of your night focused on leisure. Please, leisure and joy. Build in more joy. Rest, rest, rest. Tons of self-care. Be kind to yourself and those around you because um, times are still tough. So we're letting go, softening up, dropping the bar, doing about 60 70% max. We're not burning ourselves out, you know, slowing down. Um, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,